You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our sermon series called Created, presented by Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Today we're going to turn our attention to the new series called Created, discovering our identity in the intention of our creator. And we're going to look at some of the stories in Genesis. I love the book of Genesis. In fact, whenever I do uh, premarital counseling, I always spend most of the time in the first three chapters of Genesis because it's so rich with lots of information about who we are and how God intended us to be. And today, we're going to look at being created in the image of God, being created in the image of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we are created in the image of God. And this morning, we humbly come before you and ask God that you would meet us where we are, that you would help us to understand what you have for us. What is your intention for our lives? Help us, Lord, to live out every day, just as Anne Merle did, live it out for your glory and for your honor, knowing that you are in control of all things and getting our identity from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few months ago, my parents called me and said, Justin, you have a bunch of stuff here at the house. Some of you, it sounds pretty familiar. And, she sa- and my mom said, and I want you to go through some of these drawers and get what's yours and you know, take, take it home or throw away, throw it away. And I said, okay. So my family, we all went in there and we went through some drawers and there were lots of like baseball cards in there and things like that. But there were also lots and lots of pictures. And so like there was this picture with all of my pictures. You know, you have like the cute little kid stage, and then you have the awkward middle school stage that just keeps going and going and going, and then a strapping young man right in the middle, right? But um, it was interesting to look through these pictures, these old pictures that I found, and there was one that I had forgotten about. It's this one here. When I was a kid, I loved to play communion. I loved to play communion and baptism, and I had totally forgotten about that. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm surprised that I'm a pastor. <laughs> but there, I had the, the, the crackers and the juice there. There's my little piano. That's, how, that's what I learned to play piano on for the first couple of years of my life. It was, it was crazy. My dad was taking pictures of it and everything. And, but the neatest thing about looking through these pictures is not you know, reminiscing about these old memories. But with my kids there, it was seeing my kids in my picture and seeing how they reflected my image. Um, so people look at them and they say, oh my goodness, I see Xander, or I see, I see Naomi especially. They look just like you. In fact, that's kind of the greatest compliment, at least for me, maybe not for my kids, that, <laughs> hey, your kids look just like you, right? We can't help it, but our kids reflect our image. That's how we were created. In fact, we read about that in Genesis chapter 5, 3. The first man, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Right there at the very beginning, we see how the beauty and one of the gifts of procreation is that we bear children in our likeness. And sometimes not even just in the way that we appear, but in the way that we act. Have you ever said something and you thought, oh my goodness, I sound just like my dad or just like my mom, right? I do that and I, and I hate myself, right? I just think, oh, there's just no getting away from this image that's instilled in me. Well, what is so interesting about 
the book of Genesis and the way that creation happens is that we read in Genesis chapter 124, actually we read this a number of times, that when God creates certain things like the animals and the plants and so forth, he creates them according to their own kinds. He creates them according to their kinds. That's what it says over and over again in Genesis chapter 1, according to their kinds. But when God creates man, he creates him very differently. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it said, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. One of the quotes that you saw in that video is from Sinclair Ferguson, who said, God made everything else that God made everything else but man after its kind. That, that is according to the purpose and destiny he envisaged for it. But he made man in his own image. Man is patterned on God. He was made to represent God in created human form. That's how we are. We are created to represent God in a created human form. So what does that mean that we're created in the image of God? Well, today I want to walk through just a few um, illustrations, a few things that I think um, it means to be created in the image of God, even though we could probably say many different things. I want to look at just a few of them. The first one I will look at is you are drawn to your creator. You are drawn to your creator. I'm always amazed at individuals who have been adopted or were conceived through artificial insemination processes. And as, if they know this later on in life, and they, as they become more self-aware, they realize there's something different about them. They want to know, who am I? Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I sort of different? Maybe my skin color is different. Maybe the way I act is a little different. There's something inside me that doesn't mesh or is different than these parents that raised me and raised me well. What is that? And so many, many children will go out, uh, mainly when they're, they're a little bit older, in their late teens, and look for their biological parents because they want to know, what is this identity that I have? Who am I? Why do I act this way? Why do I think this way? And all of us do that too sometimes with our genealogy and looking at our roots and where, where did our grandparents come from. And we find that to be very fascinating. You know, when we think about it, this is how God created us. There are tons of religions in the world. In fact, I would say if, if we look at atheism, atheism is but a drop in the bucket, not even a percent in all of the world religions. And I think that's purposeful, intentional. The reason why there's all these religions is because there's something programmed in us that wants to know who did we come from? Where did we come from? Who is our creator? And, of course, we express that through the Judeo-Christian understanding of who God is. And we see that in Scripture as well. In Ecclesiastes 3, 11, it says, God has set eternity in your hearts. God has put, programmed within you, this understanding that you have a Father, you have a Creator, and He loves you, and you were made for eternity with Him. Some of the greatest psalms we read are psalms of these passionate pleas to be with the Lord. Psalm 84, famous one, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 42, As the deer pants for streams of water, so 
My soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? All of us sometimes have these spiritual experiences where we're walking with God, where we feel the sense of peace, the sense of love, the sense of closeness and communion with God. And it might be at a retreat or at a worship time or at a period in your life when you look back and you think, wow, that was just a mountaintop experience. I think sometimes people criticize those mountaintop experiences as these emotional highs, but I don't think that's what they are. I think they're moments where we are really communing with the Lord, where we're getting a sense of what Eden was like, walking with God. It's interesting to note that in the Genesis story, you know, other than God giving, creating, um, breathing into Adam, um, creating Eve, giving some instruction, we don't see a lot of interaction between Adam and Eve and God. And I think, it's, I think that's somewhat intentional, that they walked with God in a way that it was just normal. God was there. God was there, and they didn't have to try to uh, get themselves you know, fired up to be with him or get in the mindset of being with him. He was there. And in those spiritual moments of our life, those spiritual highs, we experience somewhat of the same thing where we're walking with God, and it's not like we have to try and try and fight and fight. It's like that relationship seems so natural. And sometimes what we do is we try to make it happen. And I think we try to do it through externals, through worship services or the right music or church or youth group or whatever. But the reality is that the way that we walk with God is that we commune with him, we talk with him, we pray with him, we be with him right? Abide in me, and I will abide in you. It's not a feeling. It's not about a feeling. It's about walking hand in hand with the Lord. And you know, we reflected on that earlier with Myrtle. She just walked with God. You know, she just spent time talking with the Lord. She, you know, even though she was confined to where she was, she just, hey, you know what? I have nothing to complain about because I'm walking with the Lord. The most important thing we can have in our walk with God is a prayer life. Without that prayer life, we're not communicating with the Lord. So not only do we have a desire for God, but we are returning to the image of our Creator as we walk hand in hand with Him. In the prayer chain this week, I shared the story of my friend Sarah. And many of you know her as Sarah Ackerman or Sarah Russell. Um, And she found out that her baby was going to be born and had a condition called a crania. In other words, it was going to be, the baby was going to be born without a skull. Inside the womb, the baby is fine and healthy, but outside the womb, it's 100% lethal. And so her and her husband uh, prepared themselves for this. They, the family was there, and um, they decided to go through with the pregnancy and to give birth to this girl. They named her Naomi Grace. And the baby uh, was born just the other day. And they weren't sure whether the baby would be born and be stillborn or whether the baby would be born. They'd spend just a couple of minutes with her. But Carlene and I were reflecting on the story she shared on her blog and on Facebook. She said that when the baby was born, because they, you know, the, the baby has a terminal condition, the doctors were not going to interfere at all. So if the baby was born without breathing, the doctors were not going to do anything. They were just going to allow her to put the baby on her chest. And the baby was born and was not breathing. But when she put Naomi on her chest, after a couple of minutes, the baby gasped for air and then stopped and then gasped for air again and then began breathing normally. 
and our heart was beating. And for 13 hours, they got to spend time with Naomi, which was way more than they ever expected. This was one of the pictures that um, Sarah's mom, Carol, shared on Facebook. It's just a beautiful picture. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me, be, me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But, you know, I, we, were th- we were talking about that and how that is, that idea of putting the baby on the mother's chest was, is sort of the natural way of getting a baby to breathe, right, without, the, without medical interference, even though sometimes that medical interference is necessary. But, you know, that's like us. I was thinking about that. That's like us. When we draw closer to our Father, we learn to breathe. We learn to be like Him. We learn our heart begins beating like Him. What a beautiful illustration that is. And Paul tells us that in Colossians. In Colossians 3, verse 9, he says, You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. You see, we were born in a fallen state. We don't reflect perfectly that image, that likeness of God, like Adam and Eve did there in the garden. But... As we draw closer to God, we become more and more like him. I've shared this story before. I'll share it again. This is from Ransom Hart. And, um, the guy on the left here is Craig McConnell. He's one of the, the staff members. And he tells a fantastic story about growing up. He, he, his father, whose last name was McConnell, was killed in the Korean War. And his mother, when just Craig was just a little boy, remarried and married a man named Barnard. His last name was Barnard. He was a, a Navy captain. And, and Craig's stepfather, um, from the time he was a very boy, uh, young boy on, would treated him very poorly and said some very awful things to him, said he was really good for nothing. And Craig grew up with this identity, with this weight, that he was really good for nothing for his whole life. And it was when... Um, and later on, Craig became a pastor. He had a family of his own. And one day, he decided that he was going to look for his biological family. He was going to research his dad, who he never really knew, and research his dad's history. Well, he found out that not only was his dad a great man, but that his dad's parents, his grandparents, whom he never met, were missionaries to Costa Rica. And so Craig decided that he was going to take a trip down to Costa Rica. And they were having the 100th year celebration, the 100th year anniversary of the gospel coming to Costa Rica. And so he, he, had, he went to the stadium. It was filled with people just cheering and singing and worshiping and having this wonderful celebration. And he realized they were celebrating not only what the Lord did, but what the Lord did through his grandparents. His grandparents were responsible for bringing the gospel to Costa Rica. So Craig you know, gets back on that plane and he just has this depression that sets over him. Because he's not a McConnell. He's known as Craig Barnard. And he said, God, I wish I was a McConnell to you. And uh, Craig tells this, you know, this fascinating story where he, you know, he, he reflects on this many times over the next months or years. And finally God shows up and says, Craig, you are a McConnell. It changed, it changed Craig's whole outlook on life. He actually went through the process of legally changing his name. He and his family legally changed their name to Craig McConnell. And so interesting that as he drew closer to God, he actually ended up drawing closer to his biological parents and really into the identity that God had for him as opposed to the identity that someone had given him. 
So not only are we created in the image of God, and not only does that mean that we, can, that we are drawn to God, that we become like him as we are drawn to him, but there's something else that I want to mention, and that is that we have a mind like our creator. We have a mind like our creator. The process that God does in creating man is so intricate and beautiful and so different than how he creates the plants and the animals. In Genesis 2-7, we read, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I wonder what that looked like. What that breath of life. I think that not only meant our lungs filled with air and we began to breathe, but also that we got a soul, that we had a mind, a mind that's different than all of the rest of creation. We have a mind like God in a way. Bill often shares with us how our mind works. And he mentions that it begins with perception, and then belief, and then thought, and emotion, behavior. This is sort of the process in how we think that leads to our actions. And that's different than, I think, the animals. Am I correct in saying that? That if you have a field filled with tigers and a, a rabbit runs across the field, those tigers are going to attack that rabbit because that's instinctual, Right? They're going to eat. That's how, they, that's how they happen. But for us, if there was a rabbit that ran across the field and we were surrounding that field, I think we might act in different ways. Some might attack it. Some might say, you know what, that animal is nice and cute and I'm going to let it be. Some people would take pictures of it, right? Some people might say, you know what, my neighbor is hungry. Maybe I'll use that rabbit for food for my neighbor. And depending on how we perceive that whole situation will change our behavior. We see this in the Garden of Eden. Very clearly. In Genesis 2.25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They had a perception of the world which is very different than ours. We have nightmares about being naked, right, in, in crowded rooms. Adam and Eve, this was normal. This is the way they perceived the world. This is how they behaved, because their perception was very different than ours. But notice what happens. In Genesis chapter 3, Verses 6 through 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, so this is the perception she had about that piece of fruit, so it led to a behavior. She took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who also who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So isn't that interesting? She saw the fruit, perceived it to be good, had a belief about it, an emotional response, and that led her to the behavior of eating it. And as soon as she ate it, something else happened. See, it sort of worked backwards, didn't it? Her behavior led to an emotion, which led to a thought, a fear, uh, a realization that she was naked, a belief, a perception about the world that was very different than the perception that God had intended for them. You see, we often talk about, in this world, we often hear um, sort of the world applaud sinful behavior and say, you know what, uh, they're just experimenting. This is part of the growing up process. This is really no big deal. But what God had intended, the reason why he told them not to eat of that fruit was not to... Um, not to kill their experiences, but to save their perception. Because the moment they ate that, their whole perception changed. They began to see the world 
in a very different way, kind of the way we see it. They had an innocence about them, a, a way of looking. They walked around naked with no shame. That gives a kind of an impression of what it was like. But as soon as they ate that fruit, as soon as they disobeyed God, they have a whole new impression, a perception about the world that God never, ever wanted them to have. You know, as Christians, I believe that what God is restoring is our ability not just to behave better, but to perceive the world better, right? Not just to act like Christians, but to perceive everything from a different standpoint. In 1 Corinthians 2, this is exactly what Paul says. He says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And all of us who are believers have the Spirit of God, the breath of God in us. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And he goes on to say, we have the mind of Christ. So what Paul is saying is that you and I, even though our perceptions are clouded by the sinful nature that we have, that we are returning to this idea of the mind of Christ, that our perceptions will change, which will change our thoughts and behaviors, our, our emotions and beliefs and behaviors, etc. But it begins there with putting on the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit beginning to transform those perceptions, the way we see things together. I think some practical applications about this. You know, sometimes we see that attractive individual and our mind starts to wander. It's easy for us to get caught up in objectifying feelings, lustful thoughts about that person. And our imagination takes us to some really dark places, doesn't it? But I think the idea of changing our perception where the Holy Spirit comes and changes our perception, and this is with me, he, you know, he'll say to me, he says, see that individual as I see them. And so I'll begin to see them not as someone who, who is to be objectified, but I'll see Jesus standing right next to them. And I, it's hard to objectify someone with Jesus standing right there. That person is now a brother or a sister in Christ. So whether that's, it's a lustful thought or whether it's a thought of, you know what, that person is so annoying, they do that one thing over and over and it really just drives me nuts and I can't stand that person. And suddenly we're objectifying them in a whole different way to the point where we're hating that person. Instead, changing our perception means that we see this person as a broken, wounded individual who Jesus loved and created, loves very much, and has created in his image and with the attention of that person coming back to his likeness. Um, I often lead in in directed prayer, and I'll, I'll do a little bit more of that today. And I think sometimes, you know, and the exercises that we do together, you might think, well, what are you asking me to do? Are you asking me to just imagine God? You know, we talk about just imagine God and or perceive God in the room. Is this just make-believe time? Is this something like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Is, I mean, what are we doing here, right? And the answer to that is, is no. It's much more profound than that. What, what we try to do in, in, these, in, in these prayer times is to perceive 
what's really going on, right? Our minds are conditioned to seeing this world. We don't see the realities of the spiritual realms, right? But we believe that there are angels and demons in this room that were filled with the Holy Ghost, right? But sometimes our physical eyes, they cause us to sort of negate those perceptions, to forget that God is really here, to forget that this is a spiritual world as much as it is a world filled with bricks and mortars and grass and things like that. And that's not called, when we, when we perceive God, that is not called make-believe, right? There's a specific word that's used for this in the Bible. When God stands before Joshua and says, see the land that I have given you. When Elijah says, oh, that my servant's eyes would be open and he would see the armies of God surrounding this place. That's not called make-believe. That's called faith, right? Hebrews 11, chapter 1 says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So this is what's happening as we are in the image of God. God has given us a desire to get to know him. As we walk with him, we're being transformed in his likeness, back into his image. And not only that, but we're putting on the mind of Christ so that our perceptions about this world, about everything about it, will change. Our perceptions will change and we put on that mind of Christ. We develop that faith, that gift of faith that we can see God, see his world as he intended us to see Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.